Hey y'all, I'm your host, Rita, and you're listening to The Backpacking Introvert, a podcast where I unpack the mind, connect with my love of nature, and write outside the lines. Thank you for tuning in today. Out of all the podcasts, you chose mine, and I'm glad you're here. Hi, welcome back to The Backpacking Introvert. Uh, Today we have a special guest, Amanda Talley who uh, will be talking to us today about what it's like to be in private practice. So Amanda, if you would like to introduce yourself. Of course, thanks so much for having me. Uh, As Rita said, my name is Amanda Talley and I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. I am in private practice. I started my practice in, let's see, it would have been July of 2019. My practice name is Wildernew Outdoor Therapy, and just like the name says, I offer outdoor therapy sessions, um, which I think I'll share a little bit more about as we keep talking, Um, but I also do offer traditional office sessions one day a week where I rent some space and uh, virtual sessions given this day and age that we are living in now. Um, I work with teens, I work with adults, uh, I do specialize in working with eating disorders, as well as general mental health issues. Uh, I've ended up seeing a lot of athletes and doing a lot of parent coaching as well in my practice. And so that's, that's what life looks like for me. Awesome. So we'll just go ahead and dive into the questions. Um, so I guess one of our questions, again, I've gathered some questions from some people who have, you know, searing, searing, inquiring minds want to know what it's like to be in private practice for someone like me and my cohorts who have been doing graduate school and we're just gearing up to get our licenses and uh, take the test first of all, and, you know, want to know what is private practice like? So I guess one of the first questions I want to ask is, what are the pros and cons of private practice? Um, and may I ask a clarifying question? Sure, go ahead. I, I think there's a difference that I would say between owning a private practice and then being in private practice. Okay. Which uh, I can speak to both because I've, I've done both, but I don't know which you're really looking for. I guess kind of both would be good. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, the pros, in my opinion, are endless. Uh, You really do have a lot of control as far as managing your own schedule, um, which is is significant. For a lot of people, they see that the money is also better. You can make more money in private practice and working for yourself than you can working for anybody else. Um, You can... really set things up the way that you want. Uh, For example, with the type of work that I do, this is not something I could do working for somebody else. Uh, This was something I I had to create for myself because it wasn't out there. Um, So there's there's a lot of pros, just so much freedom, so much, um, yeah, ability to, to kind of grow and do what you want. Of course, there are a lot of drawbacks too, including having to secure like health insurance for yourself, uh, which can be really tricky. Um, And let's see what else. It can be isolating. Some people complain about that. 
especially if you are not in a group practice, it can be pretty isolating. I'm part of a consultation group, and so that really helps, as well as um, I connect a lot with psychiatrists and dietitians, and so I feel like I have that space to just stay connected with other professionals around the work that I'm doing. Um, other cons or drawbacks? I, I generally don't see many. Owning your own practice is a lot of work, a lot of detail work, a lot of admin work. Historically speaking, I think a lot of <laughs> therapists are not like administratively gifted. And so that can really be a challenge keeping up with all of the details, the taxes, the accounting, right. all of that can be just a lot to, to manage. Um, and, and I think a pro and con of course is time management. So um, you have a lot of freedom, which can go both ways as far okay. as working for you or against you. Um, I think for someone like me who has the ADHD, that might be something that will be a challenge for me, but I'm ready to take that on. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you think the, the pandemic has changed your private practice, if at all? Honestly, it hasn't. Uh, well, let me back up. It has a little bit because before the pandemic, I was in the office more. Uh, I was in the office at that time, probably three days a week. And my schedule was a little bit more haphazard because I would spend like a half day in the office and then I'd have to change and go to outdoor sessions for the rest of the day. Um, it's, it's more streamlined now. Uh, I never stopped seeing clients in person. And that was one of, I think, the benefits of me doing outdoor therapy is a lot of people felt comfortable meeting in person outdoors. So I continued to do that. Uh, I took a, a hiatus from the office for a few months, I think probably toward the end of March. And then I think I went back in July of 2020. So I took a couple of months out of the office uh, just seeing people outdoors or seeing people virtually. Uh, and, and so some things have changed, but really not significantly for me, other than I think like a lot of people uh, were probably busier than ever <laughs> because right. of the pandemic. So you mentioned that you had an office space. Do you, uh, do you rent a space or how does that work for you? I do. So I uh, actually did my practicum and then I did all of my LPC intern hours, which is what it was called at the time, uh, through Innovation 360 in Dallas. And so I've been connected with them for many years. Uh, and I basically, how it's set up is I just pay per use. And so I don't have any contract with them. Uh, I just pay a, a set fee per session that I'm in the office. That's nice. Have you enjoyed doing that? It's really nice. And there are a couple of other practices that do that in the area to really kind of give space for people uh, like myself or people who are starting out in private practice to build up a caseload. Uh, so anybody, I think going into private practice, that's worth looking into. Um, one of the ones that I'm aware of, at least in Dallas is 214 Counseling Group. They have a nice space and uh, they just have a, a little fee uh, per time that you use the room. So 
So does that just include the usage of the room or does it include amenities? What does that include? Um, well, I can speak for myself at Innovation 360. It includes everything. So it's all of the utilities. It is like their lobby and they have a check-in system. Uh, you know, they provide the tissues and the hand sanitizer and the furniture and, uh, you know, and then be, I think because I know them too, well, it's true for other people that didn't follow the same path that I did. Uh, they have like a shared office space for the staff. And so you can hang out back there and have access to the kitchen and snacks and things like that, which is always really nice. That is nice. So would you recommend that for someone who's just like fresh out of grad school and thinking about starting in private practice, but knowing that maybe they can't do private practice full-time yet? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I know actually several therapists that, for example, rented space for, and there's actually one that's there still now, but several people that have just rented space because they wanted that community aspect and the camaraderie of working with uh, other people and, not feeling so isolated. Um, so I, I think it's a good way to go. Okay. Cause I'm thinking me personally, I'm thinking I want to do something like that. Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like those shared workspaces that now are going around their what? buildings where there's open floor plans, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I forget what it's called. I love it for, for me and for what I'm doing because some weeks I may have six people at the office and other weeks I may have one or two or three people at the office. And so mm -hmm. I'm not out on money or during the pandemic, I did not lose money. Um, it keeps my overhead very low instead of having monthly rent. Uh, you know, that is a set, like I'm paying $1,500 for a space every month. Uh, it's really just based on how much uh, how many people I'm seeing. So if I'm getting paid, it, there's a guarantee that I can afford the space. Right. Well, that's awesome. I like that a lot. So I think that's helpful for other future, you know, clinicians out there who are wanting to do that. Mm -hmm. So obviously, since you're private practice, and that's just a shared space, um, how is it for like when for billing and stuff? How do you do that? So I use Simple Practice, which is a software that is totally online. You have a monthly fee for it and it's a one-stop shop. So it does just about everything, including scheduling, billing, uh, even people. I, I'm private pay, so I don't work with insurance, but Simple Practice can work either way. So it can be private okay. pay or insurance. It manages all the billing for you um, and it is pretty seamless. So how I have things set up is almost all of my clients are on auto pay and they keep a credit card on file. Uh, and then the system itself charges them overnight after we met. And it's smart in the sense that like if somebody's a no-show, you mark it as a no-show, it still knows to bill them. If it's just marked as canceled, it knows to not bill them for the session. And so it keeps it really really clean <laughs> and easy yeah, right. to think about it right that sounds like it I like that so uh -huh. simple right yes and it keeps all like records of everything too so you can uh you know go against like what simple practice is telling you was charged and brought in compared to like what's in your bank for accounting and bookkeeping purposes so it's really helpful 
That's nice. So does it kind of keep it, you know, a portion for taxes and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so it comes up with, it generates reports for you, all sorts of things. So it's lovely. <laughs> Not an ad for simple practice. <laughs> Correct. But it might as well be because it's, it's worth it. It's really right. But maybe, maybe, uh, maybe they'll sponsor <laughs> later on. <laughs> maybe that'd be nice. Simple that practice. Nice. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like as far as the, you got the, you talked a little bit about the billing. Can you tell us a little bit about marketing? How does that look like for you? How do you market for them for yourself? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Cause I think that, uh, it seems to me in the last couple of years, you have more and more options, more and more online directories that you can be a part of. Uh, it's really a matter of like, what is worth it? Uh, when I graduated, really the only thing out there was psychology today. Mm-hmm. And so I joined as soon as I graduated, I still have a profile on psychology today. I think it's rather expensive to be listed there, but I do find that it's helpful because even if somebody learns about me through word of mouth, when they, that's a well-known directory that people may go and they may get in contact with me that way. So they may not be finding me, but they might use that as a way to get in touch with me. I know a lot of therapists have a, a different experience with it. Some people get a lot of clients through psychology today uh-huh. and it ends up really working for them. Uh, for myself, I, I tend to not get a whole lot of clients through psychology today. Like I said, it's more of like, a space where people can, uh, after they've heard about me, they can find me pretty easily. Um, and the clients that I've gotten from psychology today tend to not last or be as more as long-term as a lot of my other clients. So by and large, I get most of my clients through word of mouth. Um, most of my referrals will come from treatment centers, doctors, dietitians, because I do work with eating disorders. Uh, other clients, and then also um, education consultants or therapeutic consultants in the area. Uh, So I do more like person-to-person networking and marketing. Um, And to be honest with you, having worked for other companies has really helped me to get to know the community. And that I would not have felt secure stepping out into private practice without already having some knowledge and connection with the the therapeutic community in Dallas. So then uh, that kind of turns to one of my uh, questions that was asked is like, what the difference between working with agency and private practice, what benefits have that been for you? Well, There's, there's a lot to this. I would say there was a a significant benefit in so many ways working for other companies and organizations. Um, I have worked in an outpatient private practice setting, which was Innovation 360. And then I've also worked in an inpatient uh, treatment center for eating disorders. Both of them really set me up well to work in private practice, but for different reasons. Um, you know, I, th- I think I learned and 
grew so much as a young clinician by working with and for other people. And both in, in outpatient and inpatient medical model and otherwise. Um, and I think that there's a lot of benefits to having that, that sort of team mentality that I experienced when I worked for someone else mm-hmm. that then I brought into private practice and I found that really helpful. Um, learned a lot about skills, modalities, creating treatment plans, crisis intervention, distress tolerance, running and leading groups, um, even uh, you know, having worked in a treatment center, I would say what was so helpful was uh, you have people for a short period of time. And so you're always getting to know a new client, having to be mindful of what are the goals, what is my role in this short space that I have them for, and, and how can I uh, affect, or at least to the best of my ability, affect change for them. Um, you know, and then it just, all of that translated into private practice for me, uh, just gave me a lot of confidence and skills for Thank those you. things. So I don't think for me, I don't think I would be the clinician I am today for private practice and for outpatient without having had those experiences. Um, but again, now I would, I would never look back and go back to that. Um, like I'm just wired to be my own boss and, (laughs) and do, and do what I do. I love it. Right. So what, what makes you say that you wouldn't want to go back because you have your own schedule because you love the way that setup is and your clients, (laughs) everything, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely everything. Um, being my own boss, having the flexibility, the, the money, again, being able to do things in the way that I want to do it, deciding for myself, like what's the direction that I want to go in and just having that freedom to, to be the clinician that I am and how I want to run my practice and how I want to do therapy. Um, I just really appreciate that flexibility. Right. I, I can see that because, you know, me working at my internship, you know, um, I, um, I have my own schedule that I was able to set. So I was able to create, you know, what time blocks I wanted to work in and it's wonderful and have those breaks in between. So, you know, of course I have breaks where I could potentially take a nap, which I have, I have but too. and that's so great you know to have that refresher in between clients yes or even to just you know maybe get a workout in real fast or um go outside and be in nature or meet someone for lunch and not have to be like inhaling your food you know me me coming from my previous career you know I had supposedly 30 minutes to eat but it was really more like 15 Uh you know and that's just not the way to live right I agree and I had the same thing um working you know in an eating disorder treatment center where there were some weeks and some days where I was so busy that I'm like I don't have time to eat something's wrong with this I'm working in an eating disorder treatment center (laughs) yeah (laughs) ironic Uh uh-huh it it did get better um and some of that was really myself and I think this is maybe another 
challenge, I might put it that way, of private practice is knowing your own limits and heeding that and taking care of yourself, setting boundaries, uh, because you do have, I think, such a strong like duty and responsibility to care well for your business, to care well for your clients, right. that it it's easier to overextend yourself um, and to not take care of yourself, but it is ever more critical or just as critical, I, but I think even more so having your own practice. Right. I can see that. I mean, for me personally, um, I think what one thing that I have learned um, interning is that I need to stop that mentality of pushing my body beyond its limit, mm -hmm. you know, because I was struggling with, um, at one point doing my case notes on time, because with my agency that I work with, I say my agency, like it's mine, the agency that I work with, <laughs> um, I have like a 48 hour period to turn in my notes to be in compliance, but that, you know, they pr really prefer 24 hours and it is really better for you. Like speaking of time management, how important you've mentioned that is, you know, if you get them done 24 hours, because then it's not lingering over your head and then you see more clients and it starts falling over and it gets overwhelming. So I remember a time where I was, at that point where I was overwhelmed with notes and up until two, three, four in the morning, sometimes not always, or maybe even midnight, you know, trying to finish those notes. But, you know, I just got to a point where it's like, no, I need to figure out how to break it up. If I'm going to stretch a few over, if, I'm, if not, I'm going to do the whole six clients I see that day, then I need to at least do half. Yeah. So just kind of gauging what my limits are, like what you said, and, and, and also listening to my body, what cues it's giving me. Oh, it's 1030. My body's like, it's time to shut down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is one thing. Um, and I do not represent, uh, you know, private practice as a whole. I think people do things uh, very differently. I really try to give my all Monday through Friday, because I only work Monday through Friday, mm -hmm. seeing clients, doing work. And then I don't do much work on the weekends. I really, uh, unless something has come up where there's a crisis or something like that, I don't try to carry that over mm -hmm. um, because I'm, I, I'm also pretty good at like shutting things off. And so once I do my notes for the day, I might wrap up around like seven or something PM and then I eat dinner and I hang out and I don't respond to emails and I don't do anything else. And, um, for the most part, I mean, there are exceptions to that, but I try really to have a strong boundary with that. And it helps me. I bet. I'm, I'm sure it also takes care of your own mental well-being. Mm -hmm. And then I also have days like yesterday where it was, it was a busy week. And so I think I hit about, uh, maybe two or 3 PM. And it was like, okay, what's the bare minimum that I need to do this <laughs> afternoon. And then I took a nap at, believe it or not, five o'clock at night. <laughs> hey, whatever works, right? Yeah. But you got your stuff done where you're like, okay, it's not going to carry over for the weekend. Right. That's awesome. And, and we have to be okay. Not getting everything done. 
and, and so I ask myself really every single day, like what, what is most important? What do I need to focus on today? I have a running to-do list, uh, you know, things that are important, but not urgent or in urgent, but not important or both. <laughs> and right. just trying to sift through all of that and it all gets done in the time that it needs to. Right. So do you, the simple practice, you do your notes in there too, or how do you do that? I do my notes in there. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So it really is a one package. And they have an app on your phone. And so you can, uh, like for my outdoor sessions, I'll be back to back. And when one session ends, I will put some notes in my, in the app uh, for Mm -hmm. the client. And then sometimes later that day, I may add to it or something like that, but I can write all the notes through the app, which is really handy. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of my other questions. So let's see, we've asked about agency work. Um, so I guess one of the questions that I have that came more from me than, um, my cohorts that I also asked questions from was, how did you know you wanted to branch into or into outdoor therapy? Oh, I love this. And it's, it's maybe a little bit of a long story that I will try to keep short. I, uh, my last semester of undergrad went on a road trip. It was of epic proportion, went across 19 states, 10 national parks, camped the whole way. I had never been camping at this point in my life. My family's not very outdoorsy. My, my mom likes to hike. Um, and so, yeah, I had never been camping. No one in my family has interest in that, but I had a friend that was like, Hey, let's go on this trip and we're going to camp the whole way. And next thing you know, we're gone for six weeks and it was life changing. It was life changing to, spend all of that time outdoors to travel across the United States and see 10 national parks. And it was very healing. And and at the time I was living in Chicago. And so to have a break from that city life, that hustle and bustle, all that constant pressure and movement to just get out into open space was eye-opening for me. Right. And so at that point, it was like, okay, I want to do something outside. Like I've got to spend a lot of my life outside. And I was studying psychology. I graduated with my bachelor's in uh, psychology. And then, you know, maybe within a year, I began to develop this vision to, to help people and to do that outdoors. And what that ended up developing into was combining counseling and uh, spending time outside. Uh, at the time, the only thing that existed was retreats or like pretty extreme wilderness therapy for like troubled teens. And right. so it was like, hmm, I want to do this outpatient. <laughs> I want to <laughs> do this like every day, just like normal sessions, but mm-hmm. outside. Uh, and so I just talked to a lot of different people and did a lot of research, read a lot of books and essentially created this um, from what I learned over the course of 12 years before I actually started it. That's awesome. Well, the good thing is that you kind of, before you got your master, you already had that, you know, that little spark in you to do this, right? 
Uh-huh. Which is funny because I was originally enrolled in a master's program for outdoor leadership. And oh, I was okay. like, oh, I probably don't need to go to school for that. But if I want to be a counselor, I do need a master's <laughs> degree. And so I shifted. Um, but it was a long meandering journey to put that together and figure that out. So like for me, I wanted to do outdoor therapy. How would you, what would be your advice on me starting something like that? Well, I think you have a lot more options now than there ever has been. There are certifications that you can get. There's, um, as far as I know, there's one official certification that just recently rolled out and it is through the TAPG, the Therapeutic Adventure Professionals Group, which is a um, subgroup of the AEE, the Association of Experiential Education. Right. Um, So you could look into that. There are uh, different master's programs that are doing ecotherapy, ecopsychology, you have different options. And so there are a few of those around the country. I know less about those because they're, they're all newer, at least to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, there are programs specifically for that. And then there's also, if you don't do one of those master's programs, then you can get a certification. Truthfully, you can also just start it like I did. Right. Would you see that, would you say that just doing a certification would be just as benefit or just the same since I've already, you know, basically I've already mastered out. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I mean, the end, the end of uh, this month, I will officially have, you know, be done with my master's. Yay. Thank you. Um, unfortunately, I won't be able to convert it to January, but that's neither here nor there. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm just curious, like, okay, since I already have the master's, wouldn't certifi- doing the certification be just the same thing? I, why would I have to go through the whole process? I, I agree. And I think that you could do that. What I might suggest is there are different Facebook groups that you can join. And I'm happy to, I'd have to look it up to tell you what they are because I don't know them off the top of my head because right. there's so many groups like we were talking recently. Um, but you can join these groups and you can learn about different things uh, through those groups, different opportunities. I might suggest going to a conference first and getting to, you know, getting to have a feel for what this looks like and then knowing what your next step is. Uh, For myself, while I was still working uh, for the treatment center, I went to Knowles. That was the path that I took, which is the National Outdoor Leadership School. Okay. They are not therapeutic in nature. Um, that is not what they do. It's leadership. It's education. It is learning hard and soft skills about spending time in the wilderness. Yeah. Uh, and I took a month-long outdoor educator course, which was, uh, again, learning those hard and soft skills and including some kind of very basic first aid type stuff, mm-hmm. um, but really guiding people in outdoor settings, group dynamics, things to be mindful of when you're in an outdoor setting and, and how you can leverage that for 
towards your goal or purpose of the group or individual sessions. Uh, so I did that. And so I ended up combining that with all of my research and then my clinical experience to create what Wildernew is. Right. And you've been in practice how many years now? Uh, two, <laughs> a little over two. Two years. And the whole time you've been doing the outdoor, right? Yes. <laughs> so how do you feel in comparison to when you first started doing outdoor therapy to now? Hmm, that's a good question. I, I, I guess I might say that currently I'm in a stage where I want to learn and develop more skills mm -hmm. in order to leverage it even more so. Um, I'd like to probably experiment a little bit more with some experiential techniques. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I think it's it's basically going deeper because <laughs> right. initially it was uh, just experimenting with it, trying to right. figure out, okay, like what what are people getting out of this? How is it helpful? What's coming up? What isn't working? Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, I think one of the biggest drawbacks because I do my outdoor sessions in a public park. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the biggest drawbacks of that is distraction. So right. with distraction, there's pros and cons. Um, but yeah, I think I've realized more so recently that I want to, for myself as a professional, be better about helping manage distractions for me, as mm -hmm. well as for clients, if I can, when therapeutically appropriate. Right. Okay. So you would, are you saying that it would be actually better to go somewhere where it's not so public or more further out in the wild? Not necessarily. I mean, there, there are pros and cons for sure. Um, I mean, some of the pros, where do I even begin? Uh, sometimes I think our thoughts and our emotional state needs to be interrupted. And I mm -hmm. think nature and I think being around even others can provide that disruption. And it's interesting to see what happens for a client and therapeutically when there is an interruption, when their thought or their emotion or their experience is distracted, it's interrupted. Mm -hmm. And do they go back to where they were or do they pick something up that's new and I think that is an interesting thing to pay attention to. Um, for some clients, they may try to hide behind that and not talk about things that are more vulnerable or more difficult because they want to keep it kind of at that more distracted state. But right. I see it more as like, almost like distress tolerance where you can distract from something that is distressing you and then you're more able to come back to the issue and deal with it in a more effective way. Um, you also, I think one of the benefits is that you can see how clients interact in public spaces, which you don't get to see if you're just in the office. And, you know, mm -hmm. so I have some clients where um, you just start to notice that, you know, they're, 
gosh, they're like so friendly to other people or they avoid being around other people and they may just be drawn to like seeing other people's dogs. Um, you start to kind of notice like, do they make eye contact? Do they like stop and want to chat with somebody? And mm -hmm. all of that I think is grist for the mill as far as like as the therapist and how people are reacting in that environment. Awesome. It, it, it's, it's inspiring to hear your story. It really is. Thank and you. hopefully other people who may be interested in outdoor therapy as well, whether they want to be in the clinician's shoes or in the client's shoes, mm -hmm. will venture out to explore that option because uh, as you've mentioned, being on either end has its benefits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you say the benefit is for the client the most? As far as meeting outdoors? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a long list. Uh, there, there's a lot of research that highlights the benefits of spending time outdoors. So it decreases anxiety, depression, it improves your immune system. It has all sorts of physical benefits of helping with like your heart rate and your blood pressure. It can reduce certain like diseases and things like that. Um, not that it's like a, you know, healing everything, but um, and then I think that the, it gives perspective. Mm -hmm. It helps people to literally take a deep breath and to interact with life mm -hmm. and see, you know, I'm really drawn to the metaphors of outdoors. And so I think it yeah. helps people to see that things change. Mm -hmm. Life goes on. Discomfort does not last forever. Pain does not last forever. Right. And that life is beautiful and life is good mm -hmm. and this is good and they are capable and they can tolerate it and even thrive and find joy uh, in addition to like all of those other benefits. And then on top of that, there's something about the rhythm of walking and of moving and you know like bilateral stimulation how right. we process information differently because of that rhythm while we are talking and thinking through things right and for those who don't know bilateral stimulation could you explain that a little bit well I don't know much about it myself I'm not trained in EMDR or anything like that um, but as far as I know it helps with integration for both sides of the brain right by using the, yeah, the, by using the something physical mm -hmm. while you are thinking and talking. Right. Yeah, because I know I have some people who are not, you know, clinicians or in that field and they'll be like, what's that? Uh, <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> I, I know just the basics. So <laughs> that's enough, you know, that just to get the idea. Of, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I've used it in, you know, in my therapeutic practice as well with, um, I learned the butterfly hug technique mm -hmm. and uh, that comes from EMDR as well. Mm -hmm. So I was, I, when I encountered that, I was like, what is that? <laughs> what is bilateral <Yeah>. stimulation? <laughs> <laughs> All these fancy techniques and, and terms that we love, which ironically, so much of it is actually just quite intuitive. We're just right. calling it what it is and putting a name to it. So, right. And they're really cool techniques. I mean, they really are. And they really are effective. Like, 
I, I was trying it on myself before I used it with a client and I was like falling asleep. <laughs> wow. It's powerful. It is powerful. So I was like, Oh, I love that. <laughs> if I love it. My clients are going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so far the feedback I've gotten to them is that they do like it. Cool. Very cool. So, um, I guess to kind of like wrap up, um, my questions I have just a couple more um your your best advice for those who are wanting to start a private practice a couple of things come to mind one I, I would say if you have the opportunity to work in a treatment center do it uh even if you had no interest in it, I would still recommend it. I was somebody who was like, eh, I don't want to work in a higher level of care. And I wouldn't want to long-term, but it, the experience was so, so beneficial to work in a higher level of care. I would recommend it for everybody. Um, I think, of course, go to therapy, see your own therapist. I still have a therapist. I see one and mm-hmm. sorry about my dog sparking. Okay. And, uh, and then never stop learning, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. Some people are readers. Some people listen to podcasts. Some people do both go to seminars, uh, but just the growth is vital. You just continuing to learn for yourself as well as for your clients about different issues, about different interventions. I think the the growth is really, really important. And then another way that we, I think, can capitalize on that is being involved in a group of therapists, whether it is a consultation group or, uh, you know, clinical meetings or just having Uh, whether it's a group practice, but peers that you are connecting with and can decompress, but also learn from each other. I think it's, it's really, really important to, to do those things. So that's like your consultation group that you talked about earlier. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So let's see if you might want to dare answer this question. (laughs) (laughs) What is one mistake you've made in your therapeutic practice that you would like to share so that others won't make that same mistake? Hmm. Well, I think about the most recent one. Um, So I use QuickBooks for accounting, not Mm -hmm. an advertisement for QuickBooks. Uh, But I recently got a notification that said something about the unemployment tax rate for the state of Texas recently changed and I needed to log in and see what rate I was paying and if I needed to make an adjustment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, so I log in and it brings me down this massive rabbit hole to realize that I needed to set, I mean, there's just so much that you need to know when you have your own business that you don't know until it comes up because there's no like manual that says you need to do all of these things in order to, to do this. So long story short, it's because I have a PLLC Mm -hmm. as my business. Initially uh, as a PLLC, I started as a sole proprietor as far as how I was taxed, but my accountant last year, we switched so that I'm an S corp 
for the way that I'm taxed. So I'm okay. a PLLC taxed as an S corp, which made me an employee of my own business. Mm-hmm. So I am on payroll and I pay taxes that way, which is beneficial for most people uh, as far as for tax purposes. Right. But what that meant, and this is what I didn't know, is that I needed an account <laughs> and an account number with the Texas Workforce Commission to pay unemployment tax. Okay. And so next thing you know, I realize I don't have any of this. I've never done this before. And so I was behind on paying that. And I did have some penalties, but thankfully they were not significant. Um in the grand scheme of things, but that was embarrassing. It was like, how, how am I supposed to know this? But I, right. I need to know this because it's my responsibility and I I didn't know. And so it was, it's a lot to figure out. Um, other things have been like failing to get back to people in a reasonable amount of time or occasionally at all because things get busy and, I'm not good at email. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That means sometimes that happens to me too. So I totally get it. Yeah. Like I'm good at checking it, but then I'm like, oh, I got to do something else. And, you know, squirrel. (laughs) Yes. Well, cause it's like, oh, for me to respond to that, I need to look something up and I don't have time right now. And so I'll come back to it. And then it's out of my brain. Right. Out of sight, out of my object permanence. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned about the the PLLC and the S Corp. I mean, that's something that I had wanted to mention earlier and I forgot about it. Mm -hmm. So um, that's useful information to do that if you're going to go into private practice. Yes. Very, very useful. Um, People ask that question on those groups all the time as far as like, what's the best setup? And it seems like people generally agree. If you're in private practice, you have your own business, PLLC, taxed as an S corp is the way to go. That's what most people seem to suggest. Um, it's been really good for me. So I'm glad that it's worked out for you. Yeah. But it, was, it was a hassle to have to shift because I did, uh, you know, the first part of my practice one way and then had to shift into doing it another way. Um, so yeah. same thing with uh, the business name I didn't know what I wanted to call it and so I just like picked something and I hired a lawyer and he helped me set up the business and file with the state of Texas uh, and then I hi- I hired a branding person uh, who's phenomenal to help me come up with the name and the logo and all of that and uh, so then I had to file for a DBA doing business as and so it's, it's a lot of like figuring it out as you go, but to anybody mm-hmm. listening, I would suggest just start somewhere. You won't have it all figured out. So just start somewhere, ask everybody, you know, questions just as we're doing today, uh, because that's how I learned. I called people that started before me and was like, what do I need to know? What am I not asking? What am I not thinking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and you just learn as you go. And then A lot of times that means, oh, I didn't like the way that that went. So now I need to do it this way. And the change is is part of the process. And some of it's a hassle, but it's it's all worth it. It sounds like it. Well, I'm happy for you that you're thriving. You have this thriving practice. It's working out for you. 
and dream come true. Yes, and I'm glad that I was able to connect with you and I appreciate your time. Likewise, thank you, Rita. You're welcome. All right, thanks. And today is episode, you can catch it always on um, Anchor, Spotify, Google, all those good podcast uh, places. And also catch me at the Backpacking Introvert on Instagram. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed speaking to you. Make sure that you're following my Instagram page to stay up to date for the next episode. That's all for today. And you are listening to The Backpacking Introvert. Until next time.